Welcome back to The Dry Plug. I'm Mike. Thanks again for stopping in. This will be TDP episode number 14. It will follow the NIOSH report number F2015-20. It's entitled, Volunteer Firefighter Dies After Inhaling Superheated Gases at a Residential Structure Fire. This happened in New York. This occurred on in December of 2015, and NIOSH released their report in February of 2017. We'll begin by discussing the fire departments. The volunteer fire department having jurisdiction in the area where this incident occurred, Department 19, has 64 active members with 31 trained and qualified for interior firefighting operations. This volunteer department has a chief, a deputy, and two assistants. The fire department reports to a board of fire commissioners. Members must be at least 16 years old to join the department. All members, including the chief, assistant chiefs, and officers, are elected by a vote of the active members and approved by the fire department's board of directors. Department 19 serves a population of approximately 9,700 within an area of about 34.7 square miles. Department 19 responds to approximately 250 calls per year with approximately 5 to 10% of the total calls being fire calls. Now the other department, Department 41, where the deceased lieutenant was a member, had 20 active members, including 15 members at the time of the incident who were trained for interior firefighting operations. Department 41 serves a population of approximately 1,600 in an area of approximately 9 square miles. Department 41 responds to approximately 145 calls per year with approximately one to three of the total calls being structure fire calls. Prospective members wanting to join Department 41 must be at least 16 years old. And then of course they submit an application and then receive approval from a board of directors. To be an interior firefighter, they have to complete and receive a New York State Firefighter 1 certification and be at least 18 years old with one year of service. To serve as a FAST member, additional training is required. The report kind of details how both of these stations had written policy, but it sounds kind of like Department 19 had maybe a little more thorough SOPs. This is likely going to play into the scenario as it unfolds, and it kind of feels like this is going to be a tale of two different dynamics at play. Here we make rides with several mutual aid agencies. The Oklahoma City metro area has maybe 10 cities, towns, and like rural jurisdictions that border one another. This is a complicated mix of policy, firefighting culture, tactics, you know, just name it. Many of the departments are regimented down the blue card system, and that is sometimes foreign to agencies that don't subscribe. Radio patches have to be established for effective communications, and every player has to know where in the structure they fit as it pertains to the overall command structure. It's, you know, complicated. Training and experience. New York State does not have minimum training requirements for volunteer firefighters. However, the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, 29 CFR, applies to all fire departments in New York State. Department 41 lieutenant who died 
in this incident had joined the fire department at age 16 and had been a volunteer firefighter for three years. He received emergency medical technician basic certification in 2015. Other documented training included self-contained breathing apparatus, SCBA emergencies, rapid intervention, driver training, uh, and rescue drags, ladders, mayday, turnout gear, and radio hand tools, overall, just overall training as far as fire firefighter one type stuff goes. Following the incident, the Department 41 lieutenant was posthumously promoted to the rank of captain. The incident commander had over 35 years of experience and had served Department 19 as both chief and assistant chief. Documented training was substantial and he was a well-qualified individual. Now, in absolutely no way will I say that I have a solution to staffing as it pertains to, you know, to the volunteer fire service. I'm unqualified to speak on the matter, and truthfully, I'm just so really proud of the efforts of volunteers that serve in these ways that I would embarrass myself by disparaging the methods by which they select members and ages of the members that they may promote. These services have been serving their communities for generations to find a factor without my input as to how they should do it. I would, however, like to mention that 19 years on the earth is a remarkably young age to have a lieutenant's responsibilities. At 19, the world is it's still coming at you, you know. It spins faster, and without the anchor of experience, you know, both life and in firefighting, it seems like a very challenging spot for a department to be placed whereby split-second decisions, in fact, life and death decisions, are often to be made by a person that is yet to have seen and done things that might condition, you know, their critical decision-making. The structure and incident scene. This incident occurred in a one-story single-family residential house approximately 1,029 square feet. The structure was built in 1976. The three-bedroom, one-bath structure was of modular construction, which consisted of a Type 5 wood frame platform construction and measured approximately 42 feet by 24 feet. The structure was built over a full basement with a poured concrete floor and concrete block walls. The basement was partially finished with a gypsum drywall covering, the ceiling, and some of the exterior walls. A walkout basement door was located on the Delta side near the Alpha Delta corner. Interior steps located along the Delta side wall provided interior access from the main level to the basement. The floor of the main level was constructed of two by six joists covered with particle board. The roof structure contained two by four inch wood trusses. The roof deck was oriented strand board OSB covered with asphalt shingles. A utility room located in the rear of the basement contained a propane furnace. However, at the time of the fire, the only source of heat in use within the structure was the wood burning stove located on the main level near the center of the Charlie side wall. The wood stove was equipped with a single wall chimney pipe which extended from the back of the stove, passed through the exterior wall, and entered a concrete block chimney located on the exterior of the Charlie side wall. It was reported that the wood stove on the main level was used extensively and the chimney had not been cleaned for over a year. 
There was no built-in sprinkler or fire suppression system within the structure. A smoke detector was present, but was reported to be non-functional and did not sound at the time of the fire. The structure was located on a wooded knoll surrounded by pine and hardwood trees on approximately 2.4 acre. A long, narrow dirt and gravel driveway led uphill from the paved county road to the structure. Due to the location, water supply was established by staging water tankers on the county road at the end of the driveway. A three-inch supply line was laid up the driveway to engine 4110. According to the New York State Office of Fire Prevention and Control, the fire originated in the interior of the rear Charlie side wall. The cause was determined to be accidental and related to the solid fuel heating equipment located in the immediate area. So obviously this is a chimney fire that got into the walls. Weather conditions. On December 19, 2015, at approximately 1853, the weather was overcast with temperature reported to be 36 degrees. Winds from the west-northwest at 15 mile per hour with gusts reported to 27.6 mile per hour. So a wind-driven fire. Firefighters interviewed by NIOSH reported that just prior to the fatality, the smoke conditions on the fire ground rapidly changed with dense smoke banking down, reducing visibility around the exterior of the structure. So smoke at ground level that is making fire ground function a bit difficult. You know, William Mora, again, in his Preventing Firefighter Disorientation reports that 15 to 25 mile per hour wind, I think, um, can be assumed if the column of smoke uh, is, you know, like 45 degrees from the vent hole that it's coming out of. Meaning that as it leaves its opening, it's canted directionally 45 degrees in the direction of the wind. More further reports that if the smoke goes horizontal out of the hole, it's upwards of 30 mile per hour. Smoke is typically hot, obviously, especially in comparison to the 36 degrees outside on this particular day. It wants to go up. The fact that it is low to the ground indicates that it is being affected by the wind. What affects the smoke exiting the box will almost certainly affect the fire inside the box. This is just a size up tool. I was first doing a cold January house fire and I was carrying a cheap like this GoPro like thing to record my efforts as a driver for some of the classes that I give as kind of an insider view on how I did what I did, you know, as a self-proclaimed expert, I guess. We pulled up on a rager and the smoke was thick to the ground. The first minute 45 of this recording is me at the pump panel or me throwing support ladders, or me pulling a backup line, all the while audibly retching under the acrid smoke conditions in the front of the house. The fact that it was in my face from out of the north was a strong indication that I was pumping a wind-driven fire. It was low to the ground. It was being blown low to the ground, coming out of the hole and going horizontal, flat across the street. This is just a size-up tool, in my estimation. Smoke can ride low to the ground if it's that kind of lazy, diffuse, from the eaves kind. And of course, if the air is wet outside, it can also hang low. It's just something to think about. And then on just a simple aside, the guys got three grabs out of that house fire I was describing. So that was a pretty good day for us. Let's begin the investigation. On December 19, 2015, at approximately 1858, 
the local county 911 dispatch center received a phone call from a resident reporting a chimney fire in her single-family residential dwelling. At 1859, the local volunteer fire department, which was Department 19, was dispatched along with a mutual aid firefighter assistance and search team, FAST team, which was Department 41. The Department 19 chief, Chief 19, responded at 1900 hours in his department's chief's vehicle. At 1910, Engine 1910 responded from Station 1 at 1902 with a crew consisting of a lieutenant and a firefighter. Tanker 1911 responded at 1903, and Tanker 1921 responded at 1906. Lots of 19s in this one, guys. Additional firefighters responded in Rescue Squad 1922. Six members of Department 41 were helping with a community holiday function at the time of dispatch. Engine 4110 and Rescue Squad 4120 were at the holiday function and responded from this location. Rescue 4120 responded with a crew of three, including the second assistant chief, a lieutenant who was the victim, and a firefighter trained for exterior fire support. I'm in no way claiming that these guys were inefficient in how they prepared. I'd like to say that there is a training opportunity to make sure that response from weird places and directions, such as in this case from a holiday event, or sometimes it happens what, at the grocery store or responding from the maintenance shop, there is a training opportunity to ensure that it doesn't catch anybody off guard. Getting ready on the move is different in tempo and arrangement than while on the apparatus floor. And it's worth training on just a little. If you're not making multiple rides and a variation of multiple rides, then it's worth training on. Around here, we have, you know, tossed around the idea of giving each member a tour in which to plot and plan for an emergency bunk out drill or deployment of a catch curtain um, for swift water events or an anchor setup for a pickoff rescue, meaning that during the tour, at any given time, they can call out a, quote, go, and we are under the clock to perform, the caller naturally being the timekeeper and the quality control officer. This allows for imagination and kind of an unorthodox start to an activity just to throw us off kilter a bit. Engine 4110 responded at 1901 with a crew consisting of a driver, the first assistant chief, and a firefighter. Rescue 4120 arrived first on scene at approximately 1910 and reported a working house fire to dispatch. The Department 19 Chief, Chief 19, arrived very soon after and assumed incident command. Chief 19 did a thorough 360 walk around the structure and observed fire on the exterior wall along both sides of the concrete block chimney located on the Charlie side. He observed the flames were rolling up the exterior wall and extended to the roof. The Department 41 firefighters donned their turnout gear while Chief 19 conducted a 360-degree size-up. Rescue 4120 did not carry any self-contained breathing apparatus on board. Engine 1910 arrived on scene at 1911. Department 19 Lieutenant donned his turnout gear and self-contained breathing apparatus and then pulled an inch and three-quarter pre-connected handline from engine 1910 toward the front porch. The Department 41 Second Assistant Chief and Lieutenant grabbed two SCBAs from engine 1910 and joined Department 19 Lieutenant 
on the hand line. Note, Department 19 and Department 41 use different models of SCBA from different manufacturers. During the NIOSH interviews, it was reported that firefighters had trained on using both models during mutual aid fast team training exercises. Records indicated that the Department 41 lieutenant was fit tested with a large face piece at his department. At the time of this incident, he was using a, an SCBA from a different manufacturer with a size medium face piece. Engine 4110 arrived soon after engine 1910. In 1915, command radio dispatch and requested a second alarm. Department 66 was dispatched to cover the and stand by at the Department 19 Station 1. Department 53 was dispatched to cover and stand by for Department 19 Station 2. Department 29 dispatched and responded to the scene with a pumper and interior firefighters. While en route to cover Station 1, Department 66 units and crew were directed to report to the scene. Department 36 was dispatched to cover Department 19 Station 1. He also requested a tanker from a fourth mutual aid department, Department 4. Tanker 1911 and Tanker 1921 arrived on scene. Both tankers staged at the end of the driveway and set up tanker relay operations. A three-inch supply line was laid up the unpaved driveway to supply engine 1910 at the structure. The hose line crew, the Department 19 Lieutenant, Department 41 Second Assistant Chief, and Department 41 Lieutenant went on air on the front porch and entered the structure through the front door and quickly observed fire burning along the wall and ceiling at the Charlie side behind the wood stove. The Department 19 Lieutenant worked the nozzle while the two Department 41 firefighters helped with the hose. Chief 19 advised dispatch that one hose line was in operation at 1918. The Department 41 First Assistant Chief and firefighter donned their turnout gear and staged in the front yard as the fast. The engine 4110 driver helped the engine 1910 driver connect a three-inch supply line from 4110 to 1910 for water supply. The Department 41 exterior firefighter helped flake out the hose line and retrieved hand tools as needed. Department 29 firefighters also stood by at command as an additional fast. At 1920, engine 6610 was directed by the dispatch to proceed directly to the scene. Engine 6610 carried a crew of three firefighters. The Department 66 chief and first assistant chief responded to the scene separately in their department vehicles. The Department 19 lieutenant working the nozzle inside the structure was wearing a helmet camera, which was turned on when he exited engine 1910 and donned his turnout gear. The video recording showed the hose line crew inside the structure for approximately 14 to 14 and a half minutes. After knocking down the fire, they pulled ceilings and walls, checking for fire extension. The smoke cleared out quickly, and they were able to move their face pieces before moving outside. When the Department 66 Chief and First Assistant Chief arrived on scene, they observed light, white, and gray smoke coming from the structure. The fire on the main level appeared to be knocked down. So all of this is coming together relatively quickly. What is beneficial, I guess you could say, to, to this um, department's knockdown is that it is kind of a, a, a void space fire. And so it's not moving as fast as maybe it could. Now, that also is probably affected by the fact that uh, building construction was in their favor. The, maybe the, uh, you know, fire stops, so to speak, 
uh, that we're keeping the 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 fire front from moving into the other stud bays and moving um, further in the structure. This was a uh, essentially a Charlie sidewall fire at the time. Lots of smoke. It is in the structure, but it's just not moving very fast. So they get a good knockdown on it, a good quick knock. The department 66 chief sent assistant chief to do a 360. While he went to speak to command, the department 19 lieutenant went to speak to command about the status of the fire. Three firefighters from department 66 entered the main level to complete overhaul operations. The department 41 second assistant chief and department 41 lieutenant also spoke with command about checking the conditions in the basement. They knocked out a basement window on side Bravo and the second assistant chief struck, stuck his head inside the basement and observed light smoke in the basement. They reported this to command and then walked through the yard to the Alpha Delta corner and found a closed door leading into the basement. The second assistant chief kicked in the door and they both entered the basement about 10 to 15 feet, walking from the door on the Delta side toward the Bravo side, a wall running parallel to the front and back walls side Alpha and Charlie separated the basement roughly in half. The wall was constructed of thin paneling attached to wooden studs. The second assistant chief pulled a piece of paneling back and observed fire burning along the Charlie side wall and the Charlie Delta corner. Since the smoke conditions in the basement were light, they were not on air at this point. They decided to go outside and retrieve a hose line to knock down the fire in the basement. The Department 41 second assistant chief and Department 41 lieutenant reported their observations to the incident commander and discussed the need to pull a hose line into the basement to extinguish the rest of the fire. As the Department 66 first assistant chief was walking around the structure, he observed two basement windows, one on the Delta side and one on the Charlie side near the Charlie Delta corner. The glass was still intact in these two windows. Through these windows, he observed fire burning in the basement at the Charlie Delta corner. About this time, the smoke conditions changed and thick, dark smoke banked down, covering the fire ground. The wind was reported to be blowing from side Bravo to side Delta. A positive pressure fan was set up on the front porch by a Department 19 firefighter and turned on to help clear the smoke from the main level. Windows on the main level were also knocked out. This is a lot of ventilation going on during an already very blustery day. Breaking glass is sometimes necessary, but in almost every account, it should be announced and confirmed before it's done, unless there is a known closed door to the room in which the window is located, or, of course, in an emergency kind of bailout thing. The responding departments are perhaps differently trained, meaning that one department might value a tight structure with limited ventilation until water on the fire is achieved, while the other is a ventilation-heavy culture. This is really important that those departments train together and actually have some influence upon one another regarding these vital fire ground functions. Because if not, there's just a potential for mixed signals and things done to the fire that the other agency is not conditioned to expect. Again, this is a training opportunity, and I do not know how much these two companies train together, just making mention of this because of its importance. Training with the dollhouse is effective to engrave images that ventilation, even distal from the fire itself, might have on the overall fire spread and the danger resultant. And again, the ATF has some really great videos in which they depict, through computer models, the effect that ventilation can have on a fire. It's 
you know, worth a Google and a watch on a day that you really don't have a hands-on training scheduled for the day. The Department 41 Second Assistant Chief and Lieutenant walked back to Engine 4110 and pulled a two-inch pre-connected hose line to the basement door. The Second Assistant Chief radioed to the Engine 4110 driver to charge the line. A firefighter from a mutual aid department approached the Department 41 firefighters and offered his assistance on the hose line. After bleeding the hose line, the Department 41 Second Assistant Chief advanced the nozzle inside the basement door. The 41 Second Assistant Chief stated that the 41 Lieutenant was right behind. The third firefighter was at the doorway to help feed in the hose. Both the Department 41 Second Assistant Chief and third firefighter on the hose line reported that the smoke conditions were bad inside the basement at this time. Lots of Lots of air getting to this thing. It's starting to charge, starting to get kind of chunky maybe and hot. They both stated that they were on air because of the smoke conditions. Very shortly after the Department 41 second assistant chief entered the basement, he realizes that the lieutenant was not behind him, and he began to call for the lieutenant by name. He stepped outside the basement door and yelled for the lieutenant. Department 66 first assistant chief was standing just outside the door watching the hose line operation. The Department 41 second assistant told the Department 66 first assistant that he had lost a firefighter and asked if anyone had seen the lieutenant. Department 66 first assistant chief yelled out to the Department 66 chief standing a short distance away that a firefighter was missing. Department 66 chief radioed a mayday. At 1938, command also radio dispatch and reported that a firefighter was missing in the basement. The ambulance crew staged at the county road was directed to come up to the driveway to the scene. Command also activated the FAST at this time. Note, during interviews, the Department 66 Chief and First Assistant Chief reported seeing three firefighters on the hose line enter the basement. There were conflicting reports from many firefighters interviewed by NIOSH investigators as to whether the Department 41 Lieutenant had his face piece on or not. The FAST Team members grabbed their tools and went on air and proceeded to the basement door, accompanied by the Department 19 Lieutenant. The Department 41 Second Assistant and the Department 19 Lieutenant entered the basement door. The Department 19 Lieutenant told the mutual aid firefighter to grab the nozzle and knock down the fire in the Charlie Delta corner. You know, this is nozzle discipline from a thoughtful lieutenant. It is vital that fire attack proceed in combinant with rescue. If there is a body of fire still present, regardless of who or how many are lost, it is vital to keep water flowing to protect the rescue efforts and to protect the lost members. The world may be falling apart, but the nozzle has to stay true. If you want to hear a good discussion on this and other topics, I recommend YouTube, Firefighting Fridays with Jeff Shoop and Company. It's entitled Engine Tactics, Do's and Don'ts. I find it on YouTube. I guess I can try to put a link to it in the in the leader to this episode. I don't know if I can do it or not, but I'll give it a shot. Anyway, good on this lieutenant for recognizing the need for nozzle discipline. The Department 41 First Assistant Chief followed the rescuers into the basement. As they spread out to search the main part of the basement, the Department 41 Second Assistant Chief observed the light from the missing lieutenant's chest-mounted flashlight and quickly moved toward the lieutenant. 
the lieutenant was kneeling on the floor in front of an open door leading to a room at the back of the basement. Department 41's second assistant chief asked the lieutenant if he was okay, and the lieutenant replied, quote, no, I am not all right. The Department 19 lieutenant radioed to command that they had found the missing lieutenant. As the three rescuers grabbed onto the lieutenant and started dragging him toward the basement door, the lieutenant became unresponsive. The lieutenant was dragged outside face up. Video from the helmet camera worn by the Department 19 lieutenant was inconclusive as to whether or not the Department 41 lieutenant was wearing his face piece when he was pulled outside. As soon as the lieutenant was outside the door, the rescuers turned him over and began removing his helmet and self-contained breathing apparatus. None of the firefighters interviewed by NIOSH remembered hearing the lieutenant's pass alarm or low air alarm sounding. The Department 66 chief and Department 41 first assistant chief checked the lieutenant's pulse. The lieutenant was not breathing and did not have a pulse. Firefighters performed chest compressions until the ambulance crew arrived. The lieutenant was loaded onto a stretcher and carried down the driveway to the ambulance. The lieutenant was transported to the local hospital emergency center at 2013, where he was pronounced dead at 2035. So again, and not to keep beating this drum, but if the mask didn't fit properly, it's probably a little more likely that a younger firefighter would opt to just kind of what gutted out. So often, younger, maybe less experienced firefighters will, will overlook safety issues. Whether they are, as in this case, an ill-fitting mask or even missing gloves. I remember in rookie school, it was a live burn day. We were ushered into the burn room for a fireside chat with the instructor. You know, uh, an up-close look at fire behavior and an introduction to heat. I was younger, of course and had my gear on and properly fastened. I was ready. What became glaringly obvious as they ushered us in was that I lacked my gloves. I did not want to take an ass chewing for missing gloves. And I certainly didn't want to have my company disciplined, you know, to include maybe even missing the event because I couldn't keep my crap in a pile. So I did the only reasonable thing. I tucked my hands into my armpits and prayed that I didn't have to pull shut any doors. I'm not saying that this kid was influenced to wear a mask that didn't fit by either ignorance or shame. I'm saying that younger members can be relied upon to try their guts out until they're told to stop. And often they are their own lowest priority. A young firefighter that is worth his or her salt is constantly on the hunt for ways by which she or he can get recognized positively. It is the responsibility of the department, as well as crew members, to slow them down when necessary to make sound decisions. This is not simply a volunteer issue, though it may be assumed that because volunteerism is reportedly down nationwide, a larger cross-section of young firefighters are making decisions without that overarching kind of safety officer in the form of even just a common crew officer even because they are in fact the crew officer themselves this might push critical decisions to a young person that is maybe a great new firefighter with loads of potential but largely unqualified for these types of responsibilities there is perhaps a slight difference in a 19 year old versus a 25 year old but i would venture to say not much 
They all deserve attention and their critical decision-making has to be limited until they are experienced to foresee the fire ground a bit. Volunteers and paid departments will be inundated with excellent applicant choices from those that served our country so bravely in the armed services. These will be members that understand sacrifice and service. They understand chain of command and other vital knowledge to include combat medicine even. They could be poised under stress due to battleground exposure. What will the military teach them though? What real life skills might they bring from their time in the military? Not all of them will have more real life skills than the common college grad who has four years in philosophy, perhaps even the same percentages. Either candidate must be cared for and looked after and critical decisions should be kept from them for as long as is reasonable. Again, taking into consideration the limitations of manpower availability and resources at a department's disposal. Cause of death. According to the medical examiner's report, the cause of death was asphyxia due to inhalation of heated products of combustion. The autopsy found second-degree radiant burns completely covering the nose with the smaller burns on the left ear and near the center of the forehead in line with the eyebrows. Let's get into the recommendations. Recommendation number one, the fire department should ensure that crew integrity is properly maintained by visual, eye-to-eye, or direct touch, or verbal, voice, or radio contact at all times when operated in an ideal atmosphere. Number two, fire departments should ensure that all firefighters are trained in and recognize the importance of situational awareness. Number three, fire departments should ensure that special service vehicles are equipped with the appropriate equipment as specified by NFPA 1901. Number four, fire departments should ensure that firefighters wear a full array of turnout clothing and personal protective equipment appropriate for the assigned task while participating in the fire suppression and overall activities. Recommendation number five, fire departments should ensure that firefighters are properly trained with the specific SCBA that they are using and also in SCBA repetitive skills training and out of air SCBA emergencies. Number six, fire departments should ensure that firefighters are trained to activate their personal alert safety system, their pass devices whenever they are in imminent danger. Number seven, Fire departments should ensure that all task level operations are conducted with the approval of the incident commander within the framework of an incident action plan. Number eight, fire departments should ensure that mayday training programs are developed and implemented so that firefighters are adequately prepared to call a mayday. Number nine, departments should integrate current fire behavior research findings developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, and Underwriters Laboratories, UL, into operational procedures by developing or updating standard operating procedures, conducting live fire training, and revising fire ground tactics. Recommendation number 10, fire departments should conduct regular mutual aid training with neighboring departments. Number 11, standard setting organizations, enforcement agencies, and authorities having jurisdiction should consider developing, implementing, and enforcing national firefighter and fire officers training standards and requirements. So that wraps it up. Again, this is in no way a volunteer issue. Again, volunteers face a very real threat uh, to their very existence 
in the sense that numbers for volunteerism are down. Earn your days on the rig because we're all very lucky to have them. And remember the fallen because they died heroes in service. Thank you guys for joining. Catch you next one. But this type event can affect anyone that has young firefighters in their manpower. This is something that we have to pay attention to and train for.